Good morning, everybody. I want to especially say hi if this is your first time connecting with us. Our live stream is not working today, but maybe you're watching the video or you're here as a guest. Thanks for being here. Um, this is kind of the coolest part that we get to do as a church, breaking bread and sharing fellowship together and just being a family. And I know you're looking around and we're a weird family, I get it, but that's why we're here, right? We, uh, all things considered, definitely a weird family. So we started kind of a new uh, sermon series last week. Um, we last, at the very beginning of the year, last month in January, I looked at beginnings. And so February kind of hit, we had the world famous chili cook-off, and it was time for a new series. So I started looking at First Timothy, and I kind of shared, um, it's kind of good to go from like a topic, like beginnings, um, or like this past summer we did summertime, it's good to go from a topic to something just straight textual, right? Where you just open the Bible and you share what the Bible has to say. And so that's what I'm doing out of 1 Timothy right now. We're just opening the Bible. Last week we looked at chapter 1. Uh, any guesses where we're going to go today? Chapter 2. Pretty easy, right? Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, this week in, in, in our sermon today. But I shared last week kind of what 1 Timothy is all about. And um, if you haven't read 1 Timothy before, you don't know where it's at, the New Testament, so that, that new last part of the Bible, it's towards the last half of that. So if you need to find 1 Timothy, it's in the last half of the New Testament. And it's titled 1 Timothy, not because Timothy wrote it, but rather that he's the recipient of it. Uh, this is actually a letter from Paul to Timothy while he's at the church in Ephesus. And I kind of recapped this last week about how Paul knew Timothy, and Paul came across Timothy, and they uh, started serving together as ministers and missionaries. And it seems like when we read here 1 Timothy, uh, they traveled together and did the work together, and then Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. So Timothy's hanging out here in Ephesus, and Paul writes him this letter. And this letter is not just to Timothy. It's not just a, hey, how you doing letter. It's, it's a challenging, encouraging, and what should you do letter. So 1 Timothy, I really think, is a church how-to guide. And it's from Paul to the church in Ephesus through Timothy. Timothy's the one that's there right now. So it's a church how-to guide. And at times, it kind of feels like a church how-not-to guide. That's kind of what we read last week. Uh, you guys need to shut down these people that are preaching and getting worried about genealogies and uh, myths and pointless conversations. That's what's being preached. And Paul's like, hey, how about you start preaching about Jesus? So he kind of calls out the people that are getting caught up in other things, and he calls them false teachers, false prophets. And he says, rather than that, let me remind you the power of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, that's what it's got to be about. That's what we got to preach every time we're together. And I think that's true for us today as well. We've got to preach the message of Jesus. We can't be caught up in uh, too many details. It's overall pretty simple, right? So he, he says that, and he proves how powerful Jesus is. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners, yet Jesus redeemed me. And he was. He was a persecutor, a paid murderer of Christians, and yet God changed his life, and then he went and planted churches everywhere. <laughs> That's what Paul did. And he says that to Timothy in the church in Ephesus. That's what chapter 1 was about last week and kind of what we talked about. But as you're studying through um, Timothy, you kind of see some shift ups. So last week he was saying, this is what you should not do. And here in chapter 2, when we open it up together, you'll see, now this is what you should do. 
this is what you should do as a church. And I think there's two things that are kind of two themes that Paul is going to share to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about what we should do. And most people, when they preach 1 Timothy chapter 2, you might even find it as a heading in your Bible. Um, They call this instructions for worship. Does anybody have that as a heading in their Bible? Yeah, JD's like, yep. So those man-made headings are sometimes helpful, but sometimes they're like, wait a minute, there's more than just instructions for worship here, right? And so I want us to look at it as kind of two main pieces, and I'll share those as we get going, but I think this is the how-to part. How do we do this thing called church that we get together? How do we do living Christianity? Rather than instructions for worship, it's kind of instructions for life as a Christian, and church is a big part of that. So the first part that I think uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is sharing, and we'll read it together here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Let's read the first section of this chapter. Again, it's only 15 or 16 verses long. But let's read the first eight verses together and kind of figure out what the first section's about. It's pretty easy. Let's read it. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Paul writes to Timothy in the church. He says, first of all, then I urge you, or I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving should be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the, at the proper time. For this I am appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the, of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. What do you think this first section's about? If you had to give it a one-word title, Pray, right? The first thing that Paul is going to write Timothy about what you should do as Christians and as the church, pray, right? He says, in fact, first of all, that's what my version says, first of all then, I urge you to pray. So last week he talked about what you shouldn't do. This week he's talking about what you should do. And the very first of all thing that you should do is you should pray. And I, I grabbed the one, the first two verses, but mainly verse one out of the NLT, because I like how it says it. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I urge you first of all, so the first thing, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Pray, right? Pray. And he says, like I said, this is the very first thing that should be on your hearts and minds as Christians. You should be praying. But who should we be praying for? All people. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. 
But this one's kind of hard, isn't it? Pray for all people. I, you know, maybe it's our American culture coming in here, but like, I don't want to. You ever think that? Like, all people? I don't want to pray for everybody. Like, have you seen people? I don't want to, right? But Paul doesn't say, pray for the people that you want to. He says, pray for all people. And he even specifically gives some that are in American culture, I think, are hard for us. Pray for the kings and all who are in authority. But I don't want to. They're just... Oh, have you seen people? They're just so messed up and so tough and so difficult. I don't want to pray for them. And again, I think in our culture, we focus on differences, right? We really focus on how we're different. But Paul says, don't focus on how we're different, but rather lift those people up in prayer, putting aside the differences. I think when he wrote to the church in Ephesus and to Timothy, he knew the line kings and those who are in authority meant people that are different than you. Guess what? Politics hasn't really changed that much in all these years. Nobody likes the politicians, no matter if you're a king or a president, right? So these Christians who are in Ephesus, who are being shunned out of society, who are being pushed by the government to get out of here because you're causing problems, Paul says, pray for the people that are doing that to you. Pray for kings and those in authority. In fact, pray for all people, even if you don't want to. You might be hearing this and say, you could either be in two camps. I agree, I don't want to. Or you could be like, no, I'm really good about praying about people in authority. I'm really good about praying about people who are kings or praying for or about all people. I want to challenge us today, though and say, maybe you're really good at praying about people. I can be good at praying about people sometimes. Dear God, please help this person just get over it. Yeah. Dear God, please help this person see what I see and get educated and be right with like me. Okay, maybe I don't say it quite like that. Uh, you know. Dear God, please, please help this person run the country better. Or, dear God, please get rid of this person so our country can run better. Or, you could probably come up with a bunch more, right? Those are all praying about people. But Paul says to pray for people. For all people. See, there's a difference about praying about people and praying for people. Because when you pray for people... You might say, God, provide for this person, this president or whoever. Provide for their needs. What's missing from their lives? They, they might have some needs. Pray for God, please bless their family. Is their family doing all right? Heal this person. They're sick. Bless them so maybe they know that you're real. Show this leader, God, please, that your love is so real that they can't deny it. Dear God, let your light shine on these people no matter what circumstance they're in. Dear God, let these people know you. That's praying for people. And it can go all the way from just I care that you're a human to I want you to be saved or you're sick 
or you're hurting, and everything in between, right? It's like caring for people is praying for people. And again, sometimes we get caught up in praying about people. So that's the challenge that Paul's giving Timothy in the church in Ephesus right off the bat is pray for all people. Don't just pray about them. Don't exclude them because you don't like them because you don't want to, but rather pray for all people, especially those kings and those rulers and those people in authority. Pray for them. This is how you can be a good Christian, right? And again, I think they were facing persecution, and I think this was probably just as hard or maybe even harder for the church in Ephesus as it is for us as Americans today. But if we do this and we truly pray for people and don't pray about them, we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Marked by godliness and dignity, right? This is how we live quiet peaceful, godly lives as we start praying for people and we set aside praying about people. So Paul kind of reminds us here after verse 2, he goes into verse 3 through about verse 7 and he kind of reminds Timothy and the church in Ephesus like he did last week, the reason you should pray is because it's got to be all about Jesus. So he brings it back to Jesus and then he brings it back to prayer. Because I think pray, prayer and pray are kind of the big main themes he's got going on here. But he says, I am an apostle to even the, to the Gentiles. I'm not lying. This is what God has given me to say. Again, this is a God-inspired letter. But then he brings it back to verse 8, which is what we read through at the beginning here. And he brings it back to praying. He says, I say all of this to prove to you. And then he says, pray. So the first piece of instruction, he ends it and kind of gives them a summary of what it is again. 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire that men, or I desire that in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Have you heard this verse before? Yeah, it's, it's a kind of medium popular one, right? It's, it's a challenge in one sentence to do what? To pray. Everywhere, every place, everybody, right? All of us need to be praying. But actually, it doesn't say that. It says men should pray, right? Oh, okay. If I didn't mention it, somebody would come up to me afterwards and try and get me with it. Men, every place should pray. You think what Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, only men have to pray. Women and children don't have to do it. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's driving home the point that everybody in every place should pray for all people, right? So if everybody in every place should pray for all people, what's that look like? Well, Paul also kind of gave a description of what it would look like. He says, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. When was the last time you talked about lifting hands in prayer? I think Terry, actually, for a fact, Terry gave me a list of sermons you never hear. On there was lifting holy hands to God. So there you go. You get about a third of a sermon on it. Right? Lifting holy hands to God. That's what Paul says it looks like. He also says it looks like without anger or quarreling. That's a very important part. But why lifting holy hands? See, a lot of times in church, 
You learn this as a kid. This is how you pray, right? Or if you've ever had me over to dinner, you know, because it got really awkward about five minutes in. I'm a hand holder, right? And you're like, what? This is my house. We don't do that. But, you know, I forced it on you, and we held hands. So those are kind of the ones I'm used to, right? Closed up, holding hands. Hands are busy either way. But Paul says the, kind of the exact opposite when he's describing prayer here, isn't he? He says, lifting holy hands. So we have an actual description of what that looks like, but we also have a description of what those hands are. These are a righteous person's hands. This is a Christian's hands. Who's the one praying for other people? The Christian. Why has he got his hands up? Well, he's lifting them to God. He's not focused on his own life, but rather he's focused on not being angry or quarreling. He's just focused on holy, holy God. So it's kind of a command. We should probably practice it a little more. It's one I'm, I'm trying to practice on more. Because, um, you know, lifting hands is not really hard. You ever, you ever done that before? Yeah. Pretty easy. Something I could practice, you know, I could go here or I could go here. Pretty easy. But I actually heard an illustration about this the other day, and I thought it was pretty good. So a friend of mine was, was sharing this story, and he says, you know, often we pray like this. And what are some things we do during prayer? Well, maybe we praise God. Maybe we thank him for what we have. But usually, knowing humans, when it boils down to what a prayer looks like, it says, God, I need. Right? Asking God for help, and that's right. We should do that. Even Jesus did that. He said, provide for me, right? So part of our prayer, and I think a big part of our prayer is usually, God, I need. And so my friend was telling this story, and he said he had a military chaplain once who prayed with his hands open, like that. And he went up to him, and he said, why do you pray? You know, I've always done this since I was a kid. And he said, well, why don't you pray to God for what you need with your hands closed? And he said, okay. And he starts praying like that. And he pulls out some cash while he's doing it. He said, you need some cash? Is that one of your needs? And the guy said, yeah. yeah. He said, why don't you take that cash while praying? He was like, you know, nah, didn't work. He said, well, if you're praying to God for what you need, wouldn't it be a lot easier to give him what you need and you receive it if your hands were just like this? And I thought that was kind of a powerful illustration because he picked up that 50 he had just dropped on the floor and he just set it right in his hands. And he said, you're praying to God with open hands, asking for what you need and giving him what you have. I thought that was pretty important. So whether that drives it home for you or not, I think it's kind of cool that we can read about lifting holy hands to God. That's a way we should practice praying. Not saying that folding your hands is wrong, and definitely not saying holding hands is wrong, because I'm going to come to your house and do it. But I'm saying one of the ways we should pray is lifting holy hands to God, opening up and asking to receive. So the first section here in 1 Timothy 2, it's all about pray. But I think there's a second section right after it. And this is the one you probably hear sermons on more often, but yet it's the hard part. It's about how can we praise God with our worship, with our Christianity, with our church, with whatever. So Paul writes the second section in chapter 2 about how we can praise God. 
And this is one of the reasons that doing just a teaching through the, the chapters and verses of a book is good. Because if I wanted to have an easy sermon, I would have just done pray. But the challenging part comes in the praise as well. So if you would, read with me here. We're going to go into the second section about how we can praise God after verse 8. Let's go into verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Because when you're opening up the text, you just read the whole chapter no matter what comes, right? So let's tackle it. 1 Timothy 2, 19 through 15. Men should pray everywhere with their holy hands lifted. Likewise, verse 9, also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Transgression. Women, am I right? Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. All right. This is the part of 1 Timothy chapter 2 that preachers either love to yell at you or don't want to talk about. It's a tough one, right? So verse 8, he told everybody to pray, and he kind of uses a specific word. He says men there. And I think he means everybody. But I think this is also his transition to talking about men and women. Because he said men everywhere should lift holy hands praying. I think women should be praying too. But he transitions from everybody to everybody and then women specifically, doesn't he? So the, verse, the very first part we read is in verses 9. And kind of the first piece he talks about, most people would consider, we would call it today as modesty, right? He talks, and he's specifically talking to the women about modesty. Now, this is the section that I think isn't exclusively for women either. Now, don't throw me out on this, but if, if you think modesty is only important to women, tell me, and I'll wear a crop top to church next week. We'll see how it goes over, right? You'd be like, wait, that's kind of distracting, Harold. Yeah, it would be. I got a nice belly button. <laughs> right? It would be distracting. But see, what, what Paul is writing to Timothy is he's writing specifically to the women, but I think all of us, that you need to be modest. Live a modest life. Wear modest things, right? With modesty and self-control. And he lists a couple of them. Specifically for the women, he says, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness and good works. So when it comes to modesty, in our American culture, we usually think, well, modesty is all about the lack of things, right? That's typically how we think about modesty. That's why I said a crop top, because I'm missing half my shirt. But actually, what Paul is writing to Timothy here, he says, in regards to modesty, it's too much. He says, specifically, these women are going overboard with braided hair and gold and pearls, and they're trying to draw attention to themselves. See, that's the whole point of modesty, no matter if you go with less is more or more is more, right? If your heart is set after drawing attention to yourself, that's being Im immodest. Modesty is being like everybody else, being normal, 
looking like the people that you're sitting with, looking like the culture that you live in. As a godly person, you want to look like the people you are, right? And so when it comes to applying this to our lives today, I think when we talk about modesty, I think it's great to say modesty is not just for women. It can be for men as well. But it's also not just a lack of clothing or a surplus of clothing. It's about looking like the culture you live in, right? And that's really, really important to me. I, again, this is Harold's commentary, but you know that's why sometimes, to me, I feel really awkward in churches. A preacher feels awkward in churches, right? But I grew up in a culture, we weren't very fancy. Farmers, oil field workers. My dad was a mechanic. My mom was a school teacher. Our church was not very fancy. And I started traveling, and church got really fancy really quick, right? And I didn't have anything to wear that was good enough. My mom has a story about that. One of my first weeks of college in Oklahoma, I was like, I don't own anything good enough for church. And I, I had never experienced that before. It's a modesty thing. The culture I came from, I dressed like the culture, and this was pretty nice because we, we need to fit the culture we're in. We don't need to draw attention to ourselves. We don't need to be better than the people. We need to be modest, living quiet lives, right? These all kind of tie together. So that's my little rant on modesty. Take it or leave it. But see, that's not the only thing Paul talks about, and he continues on with the women, and this is the tough part. It's in the scripture, though. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. This is the one that's hard for us right now. Hey, elbows are quiet. And I think the reason that this is so difficult for us in today's culture is because, again, we're, we're fighting differences all the time, right? There cannot be a difference between men and women that's kind of wrong in our culture right now. But Paul, on behalf of God, is saying there's some differences. I see that. Two women, nonetheless. My goodness, I better just shut her down. All right. There's some differences, right? And so he says, why does he have to say this to the church in Ephesus? Well, obviously, kind of like the church in Corinth, they were struggling with some stuff. And he says the women aren't to be the teachers. Rather, they're to be the listeners, right? And again, it's not Harold saying this. It's not our church saying this. It's just reading the Bible. It's just reading what Paul wrote to Timothy. So we have modesty, and then we have specifically here in verse 11 through 15 talking about the role of women in the church, the role of women. And this is probably why most of your headings say instructions for worship, because they didn't know what else to call this. But think about it for a second. Is this really just instructions for this Sunday morning gathering? Or is this for life? I mean, he talks about praying. We don't do that only here, at least I hope not. That's a missing an opportunity if you only pray here. We don't practice modesty in quiet lives only here. If you do, maybe you go put on something fancy to go the rest. No, that's not what we do. We're talking about uh, instructions for worship, but we mean worship of our lives, our entire lives here, right? And then we get to this part of, of women. And again, he's kind of just pointing out that they're is an order that's been set by God. We don't have to fight it because we could all just accept the roles we're given. That's hard in our culture right now. 
these verses are not just talking about what women can and cannot do in the building. They are, some. You will never see here a woman preacher, right? Because we take this literally and say she should not be the teacher of everybody. But you will find women teacher in this building. Women teachers. In fact, I know two of them this morning. They did an excellent job of teaching our kids. And without them, we would be a mess. It's true. If I had to teach the kids and not teach you guys, man, we'd be a mess. But see, they're not practicing authority over everybody. They're not telling Larry, Bill, me, anybody what to do. They're just doing their job. They're serving. And I think that's what Paul's trying to point out here. Don't make this an authority issue, but rather serve in the way that God has made you. That's the part that our culture struggles with today. I don't want to be who God made me to be. You can serve wherever God has made you. So don't get too offended that Paul writes to Timothy about women. I know, talking about women can get you offended. But he kind of has some instructions for them too. Not that they are unimportant, but rather focus on their role, what they should do. And really the only thing that this would ever change for us would ever be, we're not going to have a woman preacher, right? I mean, everything else, we can ask the women to serve in so many ways. Sometimes we miss that. That's the part that drives me crazy sometimes. Sometimes we're so scared of a woman preacher that we forget to ask the women to do anything else. <laughs> like, hey, could you help in any other way? There could be some great ways that we do that. So maybe think about that this week is how can we help encourage one another to serve, to be servants, right? So praise and pray, pray and praise. Those are the two topics that I think Paul is talking to Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I know I kind of went like peak of the sermon and then kind of less exciting at the end. But they're both really important. The idea that we need to pray for everyone all the time, is extremely important. The fact that we need to live lives that would praise God, that's kind of the overall theme of the women's scriptures, is important to God. How can we be better Christians? What are some practical church how-to tips? Well, practically we need to pray, and we need to praise God with what you're doing, how we're living. So the part with pray is you got to pray for all people, not just about all people. The practical part of praise is you've got to think about what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. Those are the two pieces that come together so we can be a healthy church, better Christians, live under God's authority. So that's chapter 2. We'll probably head into chapter 3 next week about those leaders and who they should be. Because we kind of had to end today of like, women can't be leaders. Well, that's a bummer. Please don't be mad at me that that's where we ended. Because in chapter 3, we're going to learn about what those leaders should look like. We've talked about it before, but we should have leaders in the church. So what those leaders should look like. So I know this might be your first opportunity to be here or hear something. Kind of a specific sermon for the church. Christians, we need to pray. Christians, we need to praise God. But if you're struggling today and you haven't really ever had a prayer with God or maybe you feel disconnected to him, you can be welcomed into the community that praises and prays to God. We want to pray for you too because you're everybody. So if you need something today, find one of those Christians around you. 
they'd love to love on you today.